Hello, ASPN listeners, and welcome back to another episode of Big Tourism with your host, Erica Sears. For those of you new to Big Tourism, this show looks at destinations, organizations, and people who are creatively and collaboratively working on solutions to tourism challenges. So basically, I talk to people doing really cool and good things around the world, uh, and today is no different. So today we are going to have a guest from an organization that is really well known. The name of this organization is so widely used that is as well known to us in tourism as Nike's Just Do It is to runners or Disneyland's most magical place on earth slogan is to Disney fans. Um, However, for us in tourism, we know that the most magical place on earth is the Oregon coast, um, but there are other other magical destinations as well. And the way to keep them magical is to make sure that we're taking care of our natural ecosystems, our outdoor recreation places. And the way to do that is to just do it. And what I mean by that is to leave no trace, um, to encourage our visitors and our guests to leave no trace when they're experiencing our wonderful destinations. So here from Leave No Trace is Andrew Leary, the Director of Sustainable Tourism and Partnerships. As a member of the Leave No Trace education team, Andrew builds strong partner relationships with tourism and travel professionals, closely working together to achieve long-term goals and objectives where Leave No Trace services destination stewardship. Adjacent to Leave No Trace, Andrew brings a perspective from his ongoing work in the adventure tourism industry as an expedition ski guide, as well as previous experience in sales within the outdoor industry. Andrew has a Master of Science in Parks, Recreation, and Tourism from the University of Utah, and a Bachelor of Arts in Journalism from the University of Oregon. Go Ducks! Uh, Welcome to the show, Andrew. Hey, thanks, Erica. It's great to have you here. And so, um, you know, I think actually we'll just start by if you can just give that elevator pitch of what Leave No Trace is, um, in case by any chance there's somebody out there who has never heard of it. Leave No Trace is this concept. It's a uh, a personal ethic. Um, It's also an organization. And uh, all of those things serve to make people part of a conservation solution so that um, public lands, um, and tribal lands and anywhere people are spending time outdoors, recreating, um, are, are protected and, and can be there for future generations. And we make our practices and our guidelines very simple and actionable, and they make a difference. Uh, they're based in empirical science. It's been shown that practicing Leave No Trace does help to minimize impacts in certain um, ecosystems. There are, of course, different recommendations for different ecosystems, um, but all those recommendations do make a difference. And land managers have actually been using Leave No Trace or or related concepts to Leave No Trace since the 1960s. So ever since then, and for the last 27 plus years that the organization has existed, we've been encouraging people to do what they can to help uh, protect these areas where we spend time in the outdoors because they are fragile humans do cause impacts, um, big and small, even if we don't know it when we're spending time outdoors. Yeah, exactly. And I'm curious in the, um, you know, in the time that this has been going on, that this organization has existed, has it, has there been a specific focus on tourism? Is there a way that the organization says, Hey, this is how we get to the tourist. This is how we educate residents or is it one in the same? 
I think it's one in the same. Um, and certainly our, our origins as an organization and, and coming from the land manager side of things really come from federal parks, state parks, so uh, National Parks, Bureau of Land Management, um, Oregon State Parks, Colorado State Parks, things like that. But ever since 2017, when we became uh, active in the travel and tourism space with our first tourism partner, the um, Colorado Office of Tourism, um, we've really uh, kind of launched into this campaign and this and this focus to say, if we're going to welcome people to a destination and the U.S. is so well known for the outdoors as a, a driver for international tourism, for domestic tourism. Let's also welcome them with a message of how they can practice responsible recreation while they're out there and make people part of the solution in real time um, and make a difference on the ground. Yeah, I love it. That makes sense. And I think that a lot of times, I mean, most people consider tourists someone that is traveling 50 miles or more away. And so I think when we look at national parks and state parks, even if you live in the area, you have to travel quite a ways maybe to get into that park. Um, so I think it's helpful to think of of messaging, you know, being able to address both those local residents that live nearby and visitors. Um, I know here on the coast, it feels like when we have a successful like education marketing campaign, we call it instructional messaging versus inspirational messaging. Um, that messages that, you know, really resonate with locals also really resonate with visitors. So it's, it's exciting to hear that leave no trace kind of sees that as one and the same. And it's not like this is the tourists, the outside problem. Like this is just the people, um, you know, able to create a solution. So, um, yeah, I'd love to talk a little bit more about leave no trace and your, you know, your partnerships with tourism organizations, which I'm guessing a lot of times are DMOs, destination management or marketing organizations. You just mentioned um, the Colorado Office of Tourism. Another successful example that I've heard of is Sonoma County. Um, is that considered one of your successful tourism partnerships? Yeah, 100%. Sonoma, and we actually think that all of our tourism partners are doing great things. They're all at different stages of uh, some being multi, uh, three years into their partnership or initiative to bring Leave No Trace to visitors and residents, and some are just starting off. But you know, wherever people are, we always set them up for success. So I think all of our partners are doing great things where they're at currently. And Sonoma is certainly one of those. Um, you mentioned that we, we work with destination marketing organizations or management organizations, DMOs, big and small. We work with Chamber of Commerce. We work with tribal nations. Uh, we also work with businesses and organizations like guides and outfitters that have ties to the travel and tourism industry. So in a place like Sonoma, all of those exist, much like all of our partners. And there are some really great things that are going on in Sonoma County being led by this uh, effort between Sonoma County Tourism and Sonoma County Regional Parks, which is really what makes this partnership different compared to every other approach that I think people are taking to bring Leave No Trace to residents and visitors. So let's let's dive a little more into that. So um, Sonoma County Tourism is working with Sonoma County Regional Parks. And where does Leave No Trace enter that conversation? Is that something that you guys reached out and said, hey, this looks like a place like we could be a supporting partner? Or did one of those partners reach out to you? Yeah, Sonoma County Tourism reached out to Leave No Trace. They had learned about our, our tourism programs and the strategic work that we do. So they reached out to us and, and we started this great conversation around the issues that were taking place in Sonoma County. Um, the, the Russian River is a, a water feature that runs through Sonoma County that brings a lot of visitors from Sacramento and the San Francisco area. 
Um, it's also a place where uh, locals are spending a lot of time as well. So we talked in these initial conversations around what are these issues and how, what are Sonoma County tourism's intentions to prioritize stewardship through their operating model. Um, and, and destination stewardship is a, a term and a phrase that gets um, used a lot. And they are a great, they being Sonoma County tourism are a great example of, of destination stewardship in action as it relates to welcoming visitors and promoting the outdoors. Um, but Sonoma County Regional Parks was actually in on those conversations at the ground floor. So when we met Sonoma County Tourism, we also met Sonoma County Regional Parks folks. And tourism said to us, we know we want to have Sonoma County Regional Parks in at the ground floor. And we said, that's great. This is super important. And you're taking an approach that other people have not previously taken. So this three organization partnership, Leave No Trace, Sonoma County Tourism, and Sonoma County Regional Parks, have been building out what is now the Sonoma County Leave No Trace Initiative, um, this very comprehensive and strategic um, messaging plan and education plan. Uh, you mentioned instructional uh, messaging to guide people on how these very practical and very easy to do things can help protect uh, regional parks as well as California state parks and the coastal areas and really anywhere people are spending time outdoors and in particular the Russian River. I love it. Um, and what has the response been from from residents of Sonoma County? Have they been excited about this partnership? Are they aware of this partnership? Yeah, there's a high level of awareness about this partnership uh, a lot in, well, really in part to the fact that Sonoma County tourism, uh, when we were having these initial conversations and then based off the strategic plan that they have that we helped to build out with them, um, we knew we wanted to reach residents. Uh, you mentioned earlier, there's a lot of kind of finger wagging at like, oh, it's all it's all visitors, it's all tourists who are doing things. And it turns out there are a lot of residents that are also uh, causing impacts and they are just unaware of it. Um, that's actually a, a pretty important concept to recognize when it comes to Leave No Traces approach is that scientifically, we know that impacts are happening. Everybody's causing impacts. It's not just new users to the outdoors as a result of the pandemic. It's not just those people who are, quote, inexperienced. And there's big issue with that term inexperienced, um, of course. So um, mm -hmm. diving all into that, knowing that residents were going to make a big difference to put these practices into place and be the ones to promote this to uh, excuse me, visitors when they were in Sonoma County, um, we wanted to say, how can we reach residents? And so actually radio campaigns have been one of those great ways that Sonoma County Tourism has been able to engage on a fairly regular basis with residents. And Sonoma County um, is a, a diverse county in terms of uh, people's experiences in the outdoors and their lived experiences, um, just like many places in the United States. Um, but radio was something that has been able to connect with a lot of people. And there's been a lot of support for the Sonoma County Leave No Trace initiative at the local level so far, which has been great to see. Yeah, that is so exciting. I think a lot of times when destinations and DMOs work on, on stewardship and destination management that we're really bad at telling people what we're doing or saying, hey, we actually do work with the parks department. We actually do work with the state parks agency. Um, so it's very exciting to hear that residents are hearing about this. And I love this tip about radio. So to any of our listeners out there, um, Andrew, all my listeners are always listening with like a notepad and pencil. They're just, you know, they love it. Um, <laughs> I would say definitely jot down radio um, because that's something we've seen on the coast too, that that is a really 
cool way to reach residents and to reach residents of different age groups um, that might not be on Facebook or they're over Facebook. Um, that radio is a really good tip. So let's take note of that um, because I think that's a great example. Um, and so uh, just uh, wrapping up this conversation about Sonoma County, are there a few you know impacts in this county that kind of come to the top that that need the most or have the most prioritized messaging? Yeah, like a lot of places, actually, uh, trash and litter or um, improper disposal of human waste are things that are definitely impacting Sonoma County. Um, in those waterways, I mentioned the Russian River, which runs through Sonoma County, but also out at the coast as well. Um, micro trash, um, even macro trash, big pieces of trash, um, like inflatable inner tubes that are left um, on the beach or, or along the river after people are done um, floating, those kind of things are really causing a big issue. Um, and then human waste, of course, which is a lot of destinations, a lot of outdoor spaces are encountering this issue with human waste. Um, and despite restrooms seemingly being available to people, which that's not always the case, accessibility is a big topic to dive into in that realm. Um, there are people who are going to the bathroom outdoors and that can cause ecological impact it certainly causes social impact nobody likes to walk up on, walk up on human waste that they encounter in the outdoors or, or walk through it accidentally so um, those are two big issues that sonoma county is facing in terms of their outdoors and the sonoma county leave no trace initiative is is starting to make a difference in increasing people's awareness for what those issues are which is a big first step we can't expect people to change their behavior if they don't know what the issues are um, but then slowly we're seeing, you know, behavior modification taking place, people um, appropriately putting their trash away. Um, the human waste issue is still something to, to chip away at. There's no silver bullet for that. But that's why working with land managers is so crucial. And that's why this particular partnership is so novel, um, because land managers are not the afterthought from a destination's point of view. Sonoma County Tourism knew that they were going to need land managers um, as it relates to infrastructure changes and all things like that, that DMOs typically don't engage with to really play a part. And so we are seeing, starting to see some differences on the ground when it comes to those impacts. It is so exciting to hear you talk about all these things. Um, there's not a lot of people I get to talk to about human waste and trash. So I'm just thrilled um, because we're going to dive into a couple of those things you just mentioned. But um, before we kind of head off to the human waste uh, conversation, there is an interactive map on the Leave No Trace website. Um, and it has hot spots and has kind of like a map of, I think it's, is it the world or just the United States? And it shows hotspots and also gold standard sites. Um, and so what I see is that on this map, a lot of these hotspots are in our coastal areas. Um, and a lot of our listeners are living in coastal areas. But there are not a lot of gold standard sites in our coastal areas. So what's going on here? Um, you know, what is this map? And can you describe it a little bit and what this tool can be used for? Yeah, absolutely. So that map is showing two of Leave No Trace's many programs that we we have that fall under the Leave No Trace in Every Park um, Greater Initiative. Um, so our hotspot programs are these five-day activations that Leave No Trace staff um, 
come into a destination or come into a park or protected area and facilitate this five-day activation that incorporates working with land managers and, and kind of unpacking issues that are going on and then coming up with plans and being strategic about that. And it also includes volunteer efforts and things like that. So that's there's a collaboration, a healthy collaboration that goes on between typically a land manager who is uh, nominating their park or protected area as a hotspot, a place that um, has just been gotten so much attention. People really love going there, but it's seeing a lot of impacts and land managers uh, can't keep up with those impacts, which is what's happening really across the board when you look at, at land managers and the backlog of things that are going on because we ask them to do so much. So that's a program that we come in uh, our teams come in and facilitate some really great programming. The gold standard site designation, uh, the best way to think about that is that it's an accreditation type process type program where land managers can take the initiative to complete um, certain evaluation tools and certain planning tools and other resources and then submit that to Leave No Trace in an effort to become recognized as a gold standard designation. Um, we have a number of places in the Rocky Mountain region and other places across the U.S. that have gone through the gold standard designation. And in certain regions, and certainly the coast is not immune to this, it really just depends on is there that champion land manager? Is there that, that, that staff member who is, can see that process through? Because it really takes the initiative uh, the initiative, excuse me, is put onto the land management staff to complete that process um, versus the hotspot program, which is, oh, you've been nominated as a hotspot and, and we're going to schedule you in next year and we're going to um, work with you and show up for a five-day activation. So a little bit of difference there, um, but what we try to do is really funnel people who go through the hotspot program to say, now that you have these actionable solutions and kind of this plan set forth um, that you could work towards becoming a gold standard designated site. And what I'll relate that gold standard site to is like a lead designation for, for a building, um, a sustainability designation for a building. So it does take time. It does take effort. And again, just because land managers are so backlogged with a lot of work that they have going on, they're on the ground, they're in administrative offices, they're in meetings like all of us. Um, it, it priority wise, until you find that champion or until you find that land management organization that has really taken Leave No Trace as a strategic focus, then that, that's going to be the thing that gets the gold standard sites further over the line. Um, and more destinations will pop up along the coast as gold standard as that evolves. We're seeing that evolution happen. We get contacted every day about gold standard designation, and it's just a process that takes time. Gotcha. Yeah, I think that's great. And also great to point out that, you know, having that land manager, that local champion is so important. And I think in a lot of coastal destinations, we have high turnover, you know, people come and go. Um, but there are those local champions that do stick around. And um, so that's exciting to hear. And for um, our listeners, everything we're talking about today is so beautifully laid out on the Leave No Trace website, lnt.org. And so you can check out this map at lnt.org um, backslash map. Um, great. Well, we're going to go back to the trashed natural areas conversation. Um, on this wonderful website I just mentioned, you can go to a page that says problems we solve, which is like the first thing I always go to. I'm like, what's the issue? Let's get right into it. Um, and so on this page, there's um, a host of problems here. There's trash natural areas, polluted water, lack of inclusivity in the outdoors, 
wildlife at risk, damaged trails, destructive fires, educating youth about outdoor stewardship and crowded parks. And those are all huge topics and we don't necessarily have time to go through them all today, but we are going to hit a few. And the first one is the trashed natural areas. Um, so it's interesting because during the pandemic um, here on the coast, we had a lot of the human waste dilemma at the beginning of the pandemic. A lot of our agencies um, and land managers shut down bathrooms. And so people were going to the bathroom on trails. And I got a lot of emails about this. Um, I was actually at a meeting this week and I was with a, a group of people from this, this area that's heavily used and at one, and we were recapping this past summer, 2022, and then kind of went into a bigger conversation about the pandemic and are, are we through it? Are we over it? Are we getting to the end of it? And then someone, there was silent and someone at the table was like, do you guys remember the human waste emails? <laughs> and we, I mean, we kind of chuckled because it was like, you know, like in tourism, your job changes so often about what's going on, but there was this huge human waste issue. And so I remember us sharing the leave no trace how to poop outside video a lot um, because people didn't know how to do it. So um, I think there's also the, I think Leave No Trace calls it the doggy do dilemma. Um, <laughs> so what kind of tools um, does LNT provide, Leave No Trace provide in regards to mitigating, you know, trash areas, especially when it comes to human waste and, and dog do? Yeah. Human waste is a, it's a big topic. It, um, I think the first step is normalizing this in terms of conversation. Um, I appreciate that you actually referred to it as poop. We work with a lot of destination uh, management organizations who, when we're coming up with unique language or sorry, unique messaging for their destination, uh, a lot of people avoid that word. And it's actually that, that avoidance that it continues to make that topic very taboo. Turns out humans, we all poop, we all urinate. Um, of course at different frequencies and things like that, but it's not something that's talked about really in, in any culture, I would say, um, as a popular topic. So, um, the first step is normalizing it. And that video that you mentioned, uh, in any video where we address human waste or, or poop or urine in the outdoors, we always try and normalize it and use those terms. Um, and we, we try not to dress it up, so to speak, um, because using those words are really important. The second part of that is making sure that people are aware that there are responsible ways that they can go use the bathroom in the outdoors. If there's not a restroom facility available, you mentioned during the pandemic, a lot of things were being closed in terms of infrastructure. Um, but people weren't given the tools to say, here's how you can go to the bathroom. So um, that instructional messaging can be really powerful and helpful to spread the word, to show people that this is achievable, to, sh to take away the taboo, um, to show you can do this and you can do this successfully. Um, and Leave No Traces, we've been adapting um, our techniques that we encourage people to use and the different processes, of course, because not everybody um, can accessibly uh, squat down on the ground. For instance, people with mobility issues or people who may use wheelchairs or other things like that. We can't just expect that everybody's going to be able to squat, um, which is the, uh, the, I'd say the most traditional way that going to the bathroom in the outdoors has been taught to people. So um, making it accessible, reaching people where they're at, those are the things that are going to contribute to 
human waste being reduced and, and really disposed of responsibly, whether it's um, buried six to eight inches into the ground and then covered so that, that human waste can decompose, or if it's uh, the human waste is packed out altogether and there are very safe, sanitary, and easy ways to pack that out with a, there are many, many products, one of them called a wag bag, that people use in the outdoors when they need to pack out um, typically solid human waste um, but super safe to use, really easy to use. And there are actually some land managers uh, that we're seeing who are encouraging that to be the default. So rather than burying poop, um, they're encouraging people to pack it out these days. So we always recommend wherever you're going, check in with land managers, look at the website, look at their social media, look at their TikTok, whatever it is to understand what are the rules and regulations around human waste so that you can be best prepared with these really actionable, easy solutions. Yeah, these are all great tips, you know, just recapping, being able to talk about it, calling it poop. And I, I remember this, this being such a conversation, like, I can't remember if it was a marketing person, someone like sent me this email with like a list of synonyms for poop. <laughs> and they were like, which one do you like? I was like, I have no idea. Like, <laughs> this is, I, I don't know. I don't have a background in this. Um, so I think that's really interesting to just call what it is. And I think that video is also really helpful because they're just, they're just speaking in plain language. Like, this is how you do it. And I think there's so many examples of, you know, we, we provide tourism tourists with like how to, like how to go crabbing on the Oregon coast, uh, how to safely hike the Oregon coast trail. So this can just fit into that portfolio of instructing visitors on how to behave while they're here. Um, so I think it's really refreshing to hear that. Um, something else I feel like that is coming up a lot is um, the onus on who, who's responsible for these visitors. And a lot of times DMOs, um, they're really good at marketing. So what we're talking about right now is like stewardship, maybe marketing campaigns, you know, where to go when you need to go. But I think a really successful partnerships happen when you have an agency that can also provide better infrastructure. So maybe that was opening the bathrooms back up, um, investing maybe in more bathrooms, or if we're talking, telling people to pick up their trash, providing trash cans so they can throw it away. Um, is that something that Leave No Trace also advocates for, like the infrastructure to also match the messaging? Yeah, that's exactly right. There, there's We can welcome people into the outdoors. We can say, come spend time hiking, biking, ATVing, whatever it might be, or crabbing on the Oregon coast. But at some point, parks and protected areas, there's going to be a carrying capacity issue. So what I mean by that is we can welcome people, but whether it's infrastructure like a boardwalk or the size of a garbage can or the frequency that those garbage cans exist throughout a parking lot or throughout a protected area, um, those will be maxed out at some point unless those infrastructure changes are made. So on the whole, leave no trace. We work with just, we work with uh, tourism professionals and that's what we're talking about here, but we actually work with land managers uh, even more than we work with tourism professionals. And so we've been able to make some great strides in helping to understand, well, what are the issues? And, you know, so many more people, hundreds, if not thousands of more people are visiting parks and protected areas, yet something like the garbage can, the, the metal um, oil drum uh, type garbage can that we're all used to, that hasn't changed. The size of it hasn't changed or the frequency that it's removed um, hasn't changed. And so we, we work with land managers and advocate for that. Um, of course, it's, it's up to land managers and their decisions. Um, but going back to Sonoma County Regional Parks for a second, they've actually explored some ways 
to um, effectively put dumpsters, so very large containers for trash um, at the entrances to their parks and remove some of those smaller trash cans that would typically be found uh, along the trail or along a beach area or something like that that are, are actually harder to remove and empty on a frequent basis. So it relies on the person who's visiting the park, whether they're a resident or a, tr- or a, a visitor from a, uh, another county or whatever it might be, to hold on to their trash and litter longer. Um, we Leave No Trace provide solutions so that people can feel comfortable doing that. Uh, you mentioned dog waste before. A lot of people are, I, I'd say most people are pretty good at bagging dog waste. Of course, not everybody does it, but people are pretty normalized to doing that. If they have a pet, they're pretty normalized to doing that. What they're not normalized to doing, though, is carrying that dog waste for an extended amount of time. Uh, we're in a, a city area. When we're, we're in an urban area, we tend to look for a garbage can or something you know, pretty quickly to get rid of it. Uh, those bags are safe to handle um, when they're, they're tied off and, and the, the appropriate technique is used. They're very safe to hold on to. People just don't like holding on to them. So we encourage ways, you know, how could somebody take, uh, for instance, a climbing chalk bag and combine that with their dog leash, and now you have something that can hold uh, a bagged pet waste until you find a garbage can, for instance. So um, those are like small techniques. And again, we work with land managers to think about what does this infrastructure look like and encourage them to think about carrying capacity in that way. Absolutely. Yeah, that makes sense. And we've, we've had some of that messaging too, where it's basically like pack, if you pack it in, pack it out. And if the trash can is full, pack it all the way out like home. And that definitely required a, like a visitor behavior shift um, because most people don't like putting trash back in their car. Um, so it, it was interesting to see that here in our region as well, just sort of changing that, that messaging a little bit and asking visitors to maybe change their behavior a little bit to what they're used to. Um, and that paired with, you know, more Frequently emptying trash cans by our land managers um, can definitely help alleviate that situation. Yeah, we always encourage visitor anybody spending outdoor out time outdoors, especially since the pandemic, to just be patient with land managers and those who are responsible for that park infrastructure. Like they are trying to play catch up. They want to they want to see success in those areas, but there are funding things, there are resource things that are going on behind the scenes that the public is not privy to. So we ask people to be patient with that. Of course, it's great when people want to throw away trash in a garbage can or in a receptacle. But like you said, we, we may need to encourage new behaviors or finding an available trash can and helping people understand what available is. The other side of that coin in terms of how we you know equip people with knowledge is uh, related to one of the Leave No Trace 7 principles, um, know before you go, is... If we're reducing the amount of single waste trash that we're even bringing with us when we go to places like the Oregon coast, then there's no way for that trash that we're not bringing to become litter. So what I mean by that is if we're having a picnic, if we're spending time outside all day, after I go to the grocery store, after I look at my pantry for um, food and provisions to bring, I might minimize the amount of packaging or the amount of waste that could become litter so that it doesn't even become an issue in the first place. I don't have to find that available trash can because I've minimized the amount of would-be trash that I'm even bringing with me. 
Absolutely. Yeah. I love that. I love that idea too. And just thinking, you know, really planning before you go, not just showing up, um, especially what we've had the past couple of years, you know, lack of workforce. There's, we've asked people to just know before you go on so many topics, whether that's reservations at a restaurant, behaving in the outdoors. Um, I think that is a great tip as well. So I wanted to shift over to inclusion in the outdoors, which is one of the problems um, that Leave No Trace solves. And it's actually, in a way, how you and I met. We met at the 2022 Travel Ability Summit, which was in Orlando, Florida. Uh, this annual conference now has a focus on accessibility, sustainability, and diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, so it was, it's, it was an amazing conference. Our, I know our cohort from the cohort from the Oregon coast really enjoyed it. And really this intersection is right up your alley and it's the same for our partners. So let's talk a little bit about this intersection of accessibility, sustainability, and DEI. Um, how do you guys have a formal partnership with travelability or, um, were you just a guest speaker there? Yeah, we do have a great partnership with travelability. Jake Steinman, um, I got connected with him um, earlier this year, um, well before the conference, and and we already have some things planned into the future as well. So it's been great to work with um, folks like Jake who are really championing um, accessibility and uplifting um, uh, voices who can be present at places like the travelability summit, um, as well as just kind of regular email communications and things because accessibility and DEI, it, not only is that important for the outdoors hundred percent, but it's also important travel industry wide. I mean, when you think about hotel and hospitality, um, when we think about transportation, like all of those things have, or should have accessibility and diversity, equity, inclusion lenses put in front of them. Um, at all times. Um, and those are actually things that we at Leave No Trace believe contribute to sustainability. This idea of destination stewardship um, is, is not just for the outdoors, but it's also when we bring in uh, uh, very important topics around accessibility, diversity, equity, inclusion as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so a few things on that. Um, I saw this really cool, I mean, cool, it was interesting um, blog from Leave No Trace, and it was called Stay Out of the Woods, Shaming in the Name of Leave No Trace. And so um, it had some like quotations, like comments from social media. And here were a few. People suck. Stay out of the woods. Tell people to pick up their own shit. Hashtag lazy. Um, <laughs> I was just reading through that because I see that kind of stuff too. And it was saying, you know, this idea that people are shaming, you know, maybe people that are inexperienced and we can talk about that word in the outdoors. Um, at one point, I think people were doing hashtag leave no trace almost as an insult, which I thought was interesting as well. And I think leave no trace was like, Hey, don't use us to, to shame people. Like that's not what we're here about. We're here to include you know, everyone in the outdoors. So um, let's talk about shaming new users in the outdoors. And um, if you saw, you know, here on the coast, everyone was saying we had new users on the Oregon coast. So we had high visitation during the pandemic from people within driving distance of the coast, um, because obviously we didn't have a lot of flights happening. And so there was maybe just increased people there was some increased public safety concerns. There was more trash, which I, you know, was due to a lot of to-go containers. What was Leave No Trace's perspective on new users during the pandemic? Well, let me first start by saying that we don't think shaming, shaming doesn't work, first of all. Like that's not going to change someone's behavior. 
Um, when we shame people, we cause this disconnect. Um, social media, of course, shaming has been going on far longer than social media, but we see it much more because of social media. You mentioned those comments. We see thousands of those comments, you know, each month in different channels and different things um, that go on. And for whatever reason, people think that this is a productive way to change other people's behavior. Maybe they're just uh, vocalizing how they feel, but we don't think it's whether someone is a quote new user to the outdoors or anybody spending out time, time outdoors, shaming people is not going to work. Um, nor is it the right thing to do. So even if it did work, it's still making people feel a certain way, which is really crummy and makes them feel disconnected and like they're, they're not allowed to be there and they're not supposed to be there. And that is, I think the opposite of, of the outdoors when we think philosophically that the outdoors provides so much health benefit and, and so much engagement for us as, as humans, as a species and things that we do. So shaming, it, it's not the right thing to do and it doesn't work at the same time. So I just wanted to say that first off, this idea of new users in the outdoors, it's, it, there's no, nobody's really, I appreciate that you, you know, uh, mentioned the people within driving distance and, and things like that. I think a lot of people have a hard time defining new users in the outdoors. And it's a problematic term because typically the people who, um, either coin that term or are saying, oh, it's, it, it's them, it's the new users in the outdoors. Like they, they themselves are different from those people. So it, it's othering a group of people that we don't know anything about. Of course, there's been research that's come out about um, people who spent time in the outdoors during the pandemic who perhaps uh, did not previously spend as much time or maybe had spent no time in the outdoors. Um, from Leave No Traces perspective, we think of during the pandemic, there were people who were new to certain activities. So maybe people took up um, uh, crabbing, for instance, on the Oregon coast, or maybe someone took up trail running. There are people who are new to destinations. Maybe someone's coming to Colorado or Oregon for the very first time or certain parts of the state that they had not been to previously. And then the other side of it is that there are people who are new to leave no trace. There are people who are new to this idea that impacts take place in the outdoors. Something like leave no trace and learning about leave no trace. If, if anybody learned about leave no trace as a, as a young person, there's quite a bit of privilege that's cooked into that. And I don't mean that in a negative way, but it's important to acknowledge that this concept of leave no trace and responsibility, respect, and caring in the outdoors is something that is often nurtured from different uh, value systems that we have, um, whether it's our family units or non-parental adults or institutions of faith or schools or whatever it might be. And not everybody had the same lived experience. So we can't, it, it, it's very unrealistic to think that everybody should know what to do because everybody's lived experiences are different. And if you did grow up learning about Leave No Trace, that's great. You, you had access to something that I think the majority of people who spend time outdoors, if you're looking at the population as a whole, probably did not have. So we view it as anytime people are learning about Leave No Trace, perhaps for the first time, or even the littlest amount of practicing Leave No Trace, you don't have to do it perfectly every time to make a difference. In fact, any amount of practicing Leave No Trace makes a difference, and you don't have to do it 100% right all the time. That's too much expectation. There are some people out there who really pride themselves on doing that, and that is great. 
Um, but we shouldn't shame other people because they don't do it the quote right way. And there's a lot that's cooked into that. Yeah, definitely. The right way, according to who, you know, exactly. I think that's, yeah, that's really interesting. And I just wanted to really underline, you know, the first part of this topic, which was shaming does not work. And we've seen that we've, we've, I mean, we haven't shamed people in our social media, but even um, in some of our so- social channels, if we say do not do this thing, uh, Oregonians hate being told what to do. <laughs> and so it's really interesting when we're talking about messaging and marketing is, you know, what can we say to get people to change their behavior? How can we change the hearts and minds of people? And often shaming, almost never uh, shaming does not do that. And so I, I really appreciate you just calling that out right away because I think we do see people that are very passionate about the outdoors, um, leaving those nasty comments, shaming people, making sort of this otherness or saying, okay, these people can't be here because they don't know how to do this. Um, It's been some interesting conversations on the coast about this too. So related to this um, is this kind of, it is a related topic and it's about accessibility, um, specifically around like wheelchairs, um, mobility devices like that in the outdoors. And this is a topic that's come up. Um, we had, like I mentioned, this cohort of Oregon Coast people go to the Travelability Summit. And so now we just have this ongoing conversation. Um, we're sharing resources along our coast to increase mobility and accessibility in our region. Um, but what I just recently saw was one of the accounts I follow is um, Disabled Hikers, which I recommend people check out and follow, um, is they shared this post from REI. And so REI had this post that said, the national parks are more accessible than in years past, but some say they're still not accessible enough. Advocates, trail users, and park officials weigh in on what's working and what could be better. Link in the bio for the full story. And so I saw that and I was like, okay, you know, great. But the comments below it were were something else. So you have some people that are saying, hey, you can't go overboard with access in nature, right? Like, there's hardly any, there's, there's problems with accessibility, even going to like a local mall. And there's other people that say, I have mixed feelings on this. Like I want people to have as much access as possible to nature, but there comes a point when creating accessibility degrades that nature. You can't not have an impact if you're paving trails for, you know, wheelchairs to be able to use. Um, other people say, Hey, leave nature as it is. We've already had a big enough impact on it. So does Leave No Trace, um, have you guys taken a position? Is this a conversation that comes up about some of that um, increased infrastructure that would have somewhat of an impact on nature, but is important for getting people in the outdoors? Yeah, we're as an organization, we're in full support of accessibility measures that can get more people into the outdoors. Uh, you mentioned people who might have mobility issues. We're 100% in support of that. And when we work with our land managers and we have important conversations with destination marketing organizations, we dive into those topics. The comments on social media are just ridiculous these days. I'm sure listeners to the podcast can imagine all of the ridiculousness that goes on on social media and the idea that, you know, an escalator to get to the top of a mountain, like that type of, I think that turns accessibility into something uh, more in the ridiculousness and not into the practicality. Um, There are ways that people can build trails so that um, people who use different mobility devices, uh, perhaps a wheelchair, can enjoy the outdoors. And it's not making this destructive impact on the natural natural world. It's not 
degrading somebody else's experience in the outdoors. Um, I think ADA trails and all of the work that is going on around accessibility for parks, um, and that includes people who may have sight impairments as well. So not just relying on reading signs, but being able to hear things or including Braille into certain things um, is super important. And we're, we're very much in support of that. And we, we try to be an advocate for that every chance that we can. Excellent. I think um, an interesting example was I was talking to the team from Wheel the World at Travelability, also another great organization for people to check out. And we were talking about Moby mats. And so for anybody that doesn't know what a Moby mat is, it's this really heavy duty mat that you can put out on like a beach area during the summer. We have several on the Oregon coast now. And it allows um, anybody with a mobility device, whether that's a wheelchair, a scooter, maybe even just pushing your kid in a stroller to be able to enter the beach, go through that heavy duty sand and, and experience the beach. Um, and so I was talking to Wheel the World about it. Uh, and they had mentioned that in Chile, they have a different type of Moby mat that he was mentioning, but that what they saw when they put it on was that it had a it created less of an impact on the environment because instead of having hundreds and thousands of people, like for example, crawling over all these dunes, humans naturally go towards the path. They went towards the mat. And so it was putting all that impact on the mat, which could take it versus having people go through um, like the native grass and ruining the dunes. So I thought that was interesting. Like that was an example of how um, accessibility in the outdoors actually had less of an impact. It was like creating this destination management solution, which I thought was really exciting. Um, and so I bring that up sometimes on the coast when people are like, well, I don't know about these Moby mats, you know, I don't know if this is good for our nature or not. <laughs> yeah, you're exactly right that it, when we talk about infrastructure that is um, uh, specifically and intentionally making areas or, or surfaces more accessible to people, um, in turn, it, it helps out everything else. There's intentionality that goes behind that. Um, and you just, you, you just mentioned what, uh, I think land managers and trail builders have known for a long time is that yes, there are people who spend time in the outdoors and desire to travel off trail and where that's appropriate, they can do that. But for the most part, people want to spend time on a trail and trail building. There's, there's fascinating science behind trail building, but if people see a path or a walkway, they're going to gravitate towards that. And when everybody can use that, then we're all winning. Then we're all spending great, hopefully meaningful time in the outdoors and being able to access it with no issue. And if on top of that, we can also minimize our damage to uh, ecosystems and things that are, are, are sensitive in the area, then that's a win also. Absolutely. Um, and, and one last thing I want to hit on here, um, and kind of a big thing, but we'll touch on it, is uh, Leave No Trace fairly recently announced a new partnership with the American Indian Alaska Native Tourism Association, which is really exciting. And, you know, I think even in this conversation, you've brought up Indigenous nations quite a bit. It comes up a lot on your website. Obviously, this is, you know, Leave No Trace works a lot with different Indigenous nations. And so the beginning of this announcement says, U.S. travelers are increasingly visiting America's national parks, national forests, and other beloved outdoor recreation areas, most of which are the ancestral homelands of America's indigenous nations. But, in the, but the increase in traffic has led to a dramatic growth in stress on infrastructure at those sites. 
The new partnership provides tribes and indigenous communities with tools such as Leave No Trace environmental and sustainability information, which they can in turn share with visitors and residents. Um, This sounds super exciting. Tell me about this. Yeah, this has been a great partnership. The American Indian Alaska Native Tourism Association, which is based in Albuquerque, but is a uh, a nationwide organization um, serving tribal nations here in the lower 48s, Alaska Native villages in what we call the state of Alaska, and then Native Hawaiians in what we call the state of Hawaii um, with uh, cultural heritage. And, and, and it serves as an association, serves as a learning point and a gathering space for people. Um, tourism, I think a lot of people, when we think of tra- about travel and tourism, the uh, tribal nations and Native communities are often like left out of that unless we start thinking a little more critically and like, oh yeah, there are I've, I've been on a reservation before, or I have participated in these kind of things. Um, and so we see this as a great opportunity because we know that there are impacts, just like there are impacts that are happening to public lands, which for the record, all lands in the U.S. are native lands, whether we call them public lands now or we call them by a different name. But at one point, they were all native lands. This partnership and what it serves to do is help to provide that same level of resource and support to uh, native communities that are often, especially here in the American West, adjacent to national parks. And there isn't always the clear delineation, like you are now leaving Joshua Tree National Park. You are now entering the the land of the Agua Caliente Band of Cuya Indians um, outside of Palm Springs and things like that. So this relationship that's been going on for uh, over two years now um, has yielded a a 30-person indigenous-led advisory group that talks about Leave No Trace and um, uh, Native community issues and the culture for that. And where we're at right now is that this this advisory group that I support um, in an administrative capacity, I am not indigenous, um, but I support in an administrative capacity at, at all the meetings, Um, They've come out with two really excellent resources um, that will be fully available later this year. But one of them is a tool that's meant for um, tribal nations and Alaska Native villages and um, uh, Native Hawaiian communities to be able to use that effectively guides them through how can you tell your story to guests, so to non-Indigenous visitors, um, about what respect and responsibility looks like. And not only from an outdoor and leisure perspective, but also visiting um, uh, uh, cities or visiting towns. Um, there are many impact issues that tribal nations and native communities are facing that are unique compared to national parks. Um, and I, I, you can learn more about what those are. And it's really important to hear what those are from native voices and from native perspectives. Um, so the, the tool there is meant to help any tribal nation or any native community help to further tell their story. And it's done with Leave No Trace being layered in, not to say, and go practice Leave No Trace, but instead to use the uh, the approach that Leave No Trace has always used, which is the give somebody the proactive thing they can do. You mentioned uh, don't language before. A lot of people don't like don't language. It sounds like rules and regulations, and that's appropriate in some places. Let's give them do language instead, and then let's tell them why. And then if appropriate, let's give them an alternative if there really needs to be a, a don't language in there. And so that kind of formula that Leave No Trace uses is what we've been able to support 
with the advisory group and creating this tool. The other resource that this great group um, has created and will be out later this year is an education resource that will be available to non-Indigenous allies like DMOs or or um, Chamber of Commerce or Guides and Alfred, really anybody who would like to share this message. And it really serves as the 50,000 foot doorway into uh, uh, being a responsible and respectful visitor uh, when going to native communities. There is a huge information gap um, in our public systems. I grew up in Chicago and like many public systems, the way school systems, the way that we learn about indigenous cultures are, they existed long ago, they don't exist now, there are artifacts, there are things, and that's just not true. There are millions of indigenous individuals that make up communities, both in urban spaces, um, as well as on reservations and in other areas that have been formed because of treaties between tribal nations and government today. So indigenous does not mean long ago. It means right now. It means alive. It means um, uh, hoping to thrive and in many cases are thriving. So this resource is meant to welcome people into this idea and also learn the differences between what are impacts going on on public, quote, public lands, national parks, Bureau of Land Management, what are impacts that are happening in um, tribal communities or native communities and comparing those two. Um, a really fascinating one is actually around photography. Um, in national parks, for instance, photography is allowed. Most state parks, photography is allowed. In many uh, native communities, photography is actually not allowed. And there are various reasons for that. And it, it is usually tribe to tribe specific. But this resource opens that idea up to a non-Indigenous visitor or guest. And the resource actually acts as a diving board for them to learn more specifically from the tribe that they may be going into uh, uh, spending time on a reservation or just in general from the tribe specifically. So tribes are not a monolith, native communities are not a monolith, but this just serves as a, a, a very high level doorway to welcome non-Indigenous people, myself included, into these conversations around what does today mean in terms of native communities and outdoor recreation and cultural heritage tourism. Yeah, that is incredible. That's incredible. You're going to be a part of that and support that work. Um, for people that are listening and they're like, wow, I, I want to see that resource when it comes out. I want to know more about this group and just I'm really interested in it. Is the best way for um, folks just to keep an eye on your website? Do you all have some kind of newsletter or mailing list that people can sign up for? Yeah, the uh, we'll definitely be sharing more news on uh, the Leave No Trace website. And I encourage folks to check out the IANTA website. A-I-A-N-T-A dot org. Um, that's where the news will be shared about um, where this education resource for non-Indigenous allies can be made available. Um, and by the way, that's going to be um, made available as, as uh, essentially digital media that can be shared, slide carousels and, and things of that sort that can be shared by anybody. Um, but if anybody has you know more specific or pressing questions, they can, of course, get in touch with me or anybody at Leave No Trace, as well as the IANTA organization as well. Awesome. Um, well, we're going to just have one more topic here, which again, I know is a big topic, but I just want to touch on it. And it's one of the last ones. I'm, this is the last one I'm going to touch on. 
and it is destructive fires. Uh, here on the West Coast, we've seen wildfires happening more often, you know, dur- especially during summer, late summer, a lot of smoke impacts. So I just wanted to hit on this too. Um, that this is one of the problems that uh, Leave No Trace says that they can solve and that they can be a part of. Um, so I'm, I'm curious when it comes to messaging or Leave No Trace messaging around destructive fires, how to prevent fires, um, does Leave No Trace ever work with Smokey Bear? <laughs> <laughs> you know, we have uh, we used to have a mascot that was a, a Bigfoot, like a Sasquatch. And um, I, I do recall that we had some uh, Smokey Bear, Smokey the Bear and uh, Bigfoot um, interactions and, and engagements when we went to national parks. Um, in terms of, you know, everyday marketing and campaigning, um, we, we don't work actively with that campaign, but because national parks and federal land managers are our partners, certainly the, the, the cross communication is there. And so we always, when we talk about responsible campfires. So if we're talking about the outdoor lens, responsible campfires or grilling, if you're in a, a park um, using charcoal, whatever it might be, we always defer to what land managers are recommending. Um, and in, in this era of climate change that we've been in for a long time, that we're very much in and not leaving anytime soon, um, there's kind of this question of when is it appropriate to have a fire and when is it not certainly states like Oregon, where I am in Colorado, and many places out west and the eastern seaboard in the United States and Midwest as well, do have um, recommendations and language around when fires are appropriate and when they aren't. Um, those are called fire bans sometimes, and there are different words that go around that. But we work with land managers to make that kind of language accessible. To people. Um, sometimes it's not always accessible. What is a five, a stage one ban versus a stage two ban? Um, how can people really understand that as its most foundation? And then along going back to Leave No Trace being practical and actionable, we encourage people to have responsible campfires when they're allowed. Um, and that responsibility includes where you're sourcing your firewood from. That's an important concept as it relates to um, invasive tree killing insects, actually, that a lot of the United States is encountering. But then also the size of the fire that you have, the container that you're putting the fire in. So I think many of us, are, if we've ever spent time in a state park or federal park or, or other places like that, we might be used to a metal fire ring. Um, there are also stone fire rings as well, which I think is like a, a you know very more traditional um, campfire ring. But containing your fire in that, those do a lot to help prevent sparks and embers from escaping the fire, so to speak. And then the last bit of it is really just being very aware of how much water you really need to put out a fire. I think a lot of people, when they go into a camping situation, if they need to bring their own water, they don't often factor in, oh, I should bring two to four gallons extra water to make sure that my fire is going to be put out. Um, a lot of people are like, oh, I need to put the fire out and whatever water is left in my water bottle or whatever at the end of the day, that's what I'm going to use. Um, it turns out those destructive forest fires are not often caused by a campfire that was left burning and three feet tall. Instead, it's the embers that were left over or the embers that escaped the firing that are the catalyst for those really destructive wildfires. Yeah, these are these are all great points. I know um, here in, on our our beaches, what happens a lot is people build a beach campfire and then they kick sand over it, like thinking like 
done. Um, and then the next morning, like people walk barefoot or their dogs walk on it and it's still scorching hot and it burns people's feet. Um, and then like what you were saying about fire bans, it can be really challenging kind of in cold, foggy areas like we have that we have had wildfires here in 2020. Um, so over Labor Day of this this past um, Labor Day that we had, there were fire bans. They said, hey, no fires like on the beaches, no fires at all because we have unusually dry conditions. Then we have visitors that come and it's foggy and it's cold. They're like, oh, I need a fire. You know, it just doesn't, sometimes it just doesn't match up. And so I think that messaging around why, um, what you can do, what you can't do um, can play a really important role. And I'm so proud of our partners at Travel Oregon. They've done some incredible campaigns, you know, sort of animated campaigns around Oregon slightly exaggerated. And they specifically made sure that this one scene they have of a campfire has a shovel next to it and has a bucket full of water. And I think those little details we can do, like when we're doing a marketing video, even if it's inspirational, to make sure that the people in the video are doing the right thing, they have that bucket of water, they have a shovel, um, can really go a long way to saying like, hey, this is how we do things in our destination. I appreciate that you bring up the do because with so much fire uh, education, it's about the don'ts. Don't have this. There's a fire ban. Don't do this. There's a fine. Um, but the do is so important because the do can make the difference between a, a destructive wildfire or just an illegal campfire that somebody had. And, and taking a page from another sector of the travel and tourism industry um, airlines have actually been doing this for years as it relates to smoking on airplanes. Um, I've always found it fascinating why there's still ashtrays on airlines because you haven't been able to smoke in an airplane for decades, for so long. And we all see the language or we all hear the language in the, the briefing from flight attendants about no smoking and it's a federal, uh, there are federal fines and you could see jail time. And then we see the no smoking sign, but planes while they, they really emphasize the don't there, if somebody decides to smoke in the bathroom, they want them to put it out in the ashtray. And that's why ashtrays are in there as like the, if you're going to you know break the law and decide to go down that path, at least put it out so it's not this mega destructive thing. And there have been cases, um, uh, there's a, a crash that took place in Paris in I believe the 1970s, that was a result of a fire on a plane. And so if you've ever wondered why there's still ashtrays on planes, it's not because the infrastructure in the plane is super old. It's because they want to allow people to do the right thing. And so when what that relates to with campfires is we can still talk about why it's important to not have campfires, um, but we should equip everybody with how to put a fire out and how to responsibly do that, and how much water does it actually take, and how can you use a shovel effectively, and what does a shovel even do? I thought I just had to pour water on top of the fire, and that was it. So there's a lot of great do language, and I, I'm so glad you brought up Travel Oregon and all the work that you all are doing on the coast as well to help um, provide more of those do's to people. Just do it. Leave no trace, you know? <laughs> Have you ever heard somebody combine just do it and um, Disney's slogan before to introduce leave no trace? Uh, I, I haven't, but I really liked it. I, of course, at the <laughs> University of Oregon, uh, Nike was cooked into my DNA. Um, right. So I'm, I'm sure Phil Knight would, would have some legal <laughs> issues with it. But hey, if, if Phil Knight's listening <laughs> to this, which I'm sure he is, then uh, leave no trace is wide open for collaboration on how we can combine it. <laughs> 
I love it. I don't know why they don't have me on the marketing team at my job. Um, <laughs> well, thanks. Thanks for um, those tips. And, you know, again, bringing up the do, like let's share what people can do instead of the shaming or saying don't. Um, well, I've taken up quite a bit of your time today. I really appreciate it. Any last thoughts, resources, takeaways before we wrap up? Uh, the last thing I'll say is just this concept of leave no trace or uh, larger responsible recreation in the outdoors is not this static fixed thing. So practices that might've been recommended 20 years ago have probably evolved and they will probably evolve moving forward because leave no trace is based in empirical research. So um, I think if somebody has learned about leave no trace long ago, but maybe hasn't read up on it recently, like check out the leave no trace webpage to see what's changed, to see what's been um, updated, because it's important moving forward to know that this is a dynamic thing and tourism professionals and destination marketing organizations are, are doing some really great work out there to bring this to the forefront. And it's going to make the difference to help protect natural areas moving forward. And we want everybody to be a part of this conservation solution. Excellent. Um, well, thank you, Andrew Leary, the Director of Sustainable Tourism and Partnerships for Leave No Trace, for joining me today on Big Tourism on the American Shoreline Podcast Network. We covered a lot of topics and, you know, there's a lot more that everyone can discover when it comes to Leave No Trace. So please check out lnt.org to learn more about the resources and topics that we talked about today. Thanks. Thanks.